Primordial electrophysics gives such opportunities that no science fiction writer has ever dreamt of. At a certain point in its development, physics simply took a wrong turn. Imagine how many specialists, engineers and scientists spend their lives, let's say, on developing a simple formula that has been known since ancient times. Knowing the primordial electrophysics, we no longer need accelerators. If we learn how to arrange them according to the information we need, we can create something like a 3D printer that will print any necessary object. If we understand how the world is arranged and learn to manage climate changes, we will be able to prevent them and save the entire humanity. Exactly the non-material nature is at the basis of the material world, so matter is secondary. Hello, dear friends! Today we welcome you at the first international game of professionals, Primordial Electrophysics. This is our first game, and it takes place on the platform of Electra International Public Movement. And it is precisely a game, because any specialist understands this format. And any specialist, whether he is an eminent physicist, a student or an amateur, can express any, even the Baltic hypothesis, without risking his reputation. One or another assumption is taken as a working hypothesis, and any logical chains and thoughts are built around this assumption. For example, there were similar games on the string theory and the Big Bang theory. In our game, we take as an axiom, as a working hypothesis, the information presented in the books Alatra and Isosmos by Anastasia Novik, as well as in the primordial Alatra physics report and the videos with the participation of Igor Mikhailovich Danilov on Alatra TV. In our program, we consider what our meta consists of, what physics of the future will be, how our society will change if we take the primordial Alatra physics as the basis, and what will happen in the future. You can read the primordial Alatra physics report on alatra.org. By the way, I've read this report. I think a lot of people around the world got acquainted with this report and, just like me, they got a huge number of questions. So today I would like to figure out all these points. As it seems to me, the primordial electrophysics report is the alphabet of elementary particles. If smart people read and understand the primordial electrophysics, it will give us a lot of discoveries and insights. Just look, today is the 21st century, but we still have such a concept as hunger. 760 million people on Earth live below the poverty line, 40% of the population don't have access to clean drinking water. If we could accept the primordial Alatra physics, we would be able to easily solve all these problems. Even modern technologies allow us to grow gardens in the desert. But this doesn't happen. Why? Because most of the money is concentrated in the hands of the so-called money owners, for whom it's not beneficial if people develop themselves and study science. They just need to control people. Therefore, they control all the media, healthcare and science. And in order to change all this, we invite everyone to get acquainted with the primordial Alatra physics and take part in our programs. Right. I would also like to add that we can really change everything if a lot of people join the participants of a letter international public movement and all together we will start building a new, creative and constructive society. 
After all, as I understand it, the formation of a creative and constructive society goes sort of hand-in-hand with the development of the primordial electrophysics, because one simply cannot exist without the other. It's like two wings of one bird. And I would very much like that we start creating such a society faster and start developing the primordial electrophysics. And I would very much like us to help all people understand, to tell all people on the planet what the development of the primordial electrophysics actually provides for the future. Well, with accelerated development of the primordial electrophysics, very many questions and problems of the modern world can be resolved. For example, which ones? Well, in short, it is first of all obtaining… it's a source of free energy, meaning it's free electricity which is everywhere, both on Earth and in space. This eliminates a lot of questions and problems of modern society. These are the issues of obtaining, for example, any material object from elementary particles in a ready-to-use state. For instance, in a finished state we can get water, food, clothes, a car, any machine, meaning absolutely everything necessary for everyday life. Just imagine, how much society will change if a person doesn't have to work 20 hours a day in order to feed himself and his family. Everything is available. Plenty of time is released for one's human development, personal development, improvement of one's knowledge and morality. Thus, society would move into a completely different sphere. Let's take healthcare, for instance, okay? With the development of the primordial electrophysics, absolutely all issues related to healthcare can be resolved. Humanity can totally forget about such a word as illness. Absolutely. Just imagine it right now, since we are actually playing. Imagine, diseases disappear, an opportunity arises to prolong human life for decades. Yes, of course, immortality in a body is impossible, but body life can be extended for some decades. What does this give to a person, to every individual personally? After all, it gives, it opens up great opportunities for growing, cultivating this human potential in oneself, for helping other people, exploring this world, and fully becoming a human. So this is a lot indeed. You know, Volodya, once I read a science fiction book where humankind had already reached such development as you're talking about. They didn't eat animals, they prolonged lives, and I didn't believe in that. And I thought, wow, how can it be? But now it really sounds even greater than in that science fiction book. So how do we get to all this? Indeed, the primordial electrophysics gives such opportunities that no science fiction writer has ever dreamt of. It is much more than we can imagine. But in order to implement this, especially within a very short time, it's necessary to unite specialists, altruists, who are internally attuned to giving people knowledge, giving people their inventions and time, you see? Yet this is possible only in consolidation of very many people. And we are sure that there are many of such people all over the world. The most important thing is for them to hear, unite, sit down at one round table, discuss how to move on and to actually proceed in this direction. This doesn't require a century or a millennium. We know how science usually develops. How much time is needed? Several years are enough for this. And even five years is a lot of time to make really serious, very serious changes in science. Well, we are talking about physics, but in fact, Physics is the basis of any natural science – biology, chemistry, medicine. So physics decides everything. Volodya, and if there are a hundred scientists, will five years be enough for us, or perhaps… We need a lot. 
we need a lot. And such people are indeed. You know, there are people who came to science not for the sake of prestige or prizes, but in order to learn and bring something really good to this society, knowledge that can change this world. And electrophysics gives exactly this opportunity. Please, go ahead, take and study these fundamentals, all come together and begin to develop science on the basis of the primordial electrophysics. I have a question. What about modern science? After all, hasn't it got anywhere? Our modern science has come to a standstill at the moment. Even if we look at the last 50 years… How come? We haven't had any epochal events, and this suggests that at a certain point in its development physics simply took a wrong turn. Whereas if it has been developing in the right direction, I'm sure we would have free electricity now, we would fly to Sirius, and we wouldn't have any problems with making boots or mink coats for our wives. You know, as for me, I'm not ready to fly to Sirius yet, just like many other people, I believe. But I certainly wouldn't refuse free electricity and all the more a pair of new boots or a fur coat. That's right, girls will understand me. Right, and so now everyone understands that a breakthrough is needed, that everything happens in such a way that there are contradictions. And scientists cannot understand how our universe operates, what everything consists of, how to bring everything down to a single unified theory, the microcosm and the macrocosm. Yet, if we can understand the primordial Alatra physics and introduce it into our practice, into our life, we will be able to easily understand what our matter consists of, what elementary particles are, how to construct any material living and non-living object, what dark matter is, where this matter goes, how it appears and how it disappears. Thus, we would understand the nature of electricity and all kinds of interactions. We can simply say that the primordial Alatra physics is the foundation on which the whole world is created. It's kind of a canvas. I'm really curious, when did science take her own turn? It turns out that scientists have actually achieved something in their learning, haven't they? Yes, I agree. Until a certain time, science was really moving in the right direction. Even such outstanding scientists as Leonard Euler, Heinrich Lorenz, Nikola Tesla, Mendeleev and Henri Poincaré, all of them spoke of an inexhaustible source, an intangible substance that permeates everything. While the Serbian scientist Nikola Tesla even found it experimentally and in his experiments he managed to obtain inexhaustible energy from ether. It's really cool. As far as I understand, Tesla came very close to the theory of understanding ether and the source, let's say, unlimited source of energy. Right. Tesla dreamed that his inventions and free energy would be available to all people. Of course, it would have made life easier for all of humanity, and we would be using free energy now. But the prospects of these discoveries were such that they shocked the elite of this world. And because of fear, they stopped funding Tesla's work and did everything possible to ensure that such a notion as ether disappeared from physics forever. However, we now have a unique opportunity, the primordial Alatra physics. It reveals exactly this theory of ether just like in antiquity. Even in ancient times, people said that gods live in ether. Yes. Interestingly, 
you said that science took a wrong turn at some point. And now, if we speak figuratively about science, we can compare it to a house in which there are walls, a ceiling, the entire interior, but there is no foundation, because there is no basis itself. Whereas if we take the primordial electrophysics as a basis, we can construct a beautiful science building, in which all issues, all problems can be resolved. So it turns out that this science gives society enormous prospects for subsequent development. This is very interesting. Yes, it's really interesting, but I still would like to delve into the theory of ether, especially since on the first pages of the primordial electrophysics report it is written about ether. And now I personally wonder what kind of mysterious substance this is, which many spoke about, but no one felt it and no one licked it. Why? People knew about it before. Let's say in modern physics there is indeed no such scientific concept as ether, although the teachings of the great emptiness, the discreteness of matter and of indivisible particles existed at different times on different continents. So many people knew about it and many scientists actually studied this subject, but the only thing that each of them brought to science was their own understanding and, unfortunately, often an erroneous one. So, let's say, what have we come to, to the point that closer to the 16th-17th centuries to our time, scientists didn't quite understand what they were talking about. Therefore, they decided to prove it scientifically, study its properties, study what ether is. And so, they built all their scientific theories precisely on the theory of ether. For example, the same René Descartes explained ether, spoke of it as a carrier of light. Christian Huygens explained the wave theory of light also due to the same theory of ether. Maxwell, for example, based on the theory of ether, was able to come to an understanding of the electromagnetic field. Leonard Euler basically explained all optical, electrical, magnetic phenomena precisely through interaction with ether. While Dmitry Ivanovich Mendeleev approached the study of ether from the standpoint of chemistry, not only physicists were engaged in this, but also other scientists. He considered it to be a very light gas, and in his original table of chemical elements, a zero column was allocated for ether. Henri Poincaré also supported the concept of ether. He said that experimentally we wouldn't be able to approach it just like they used to say in the antiquity, but knowing its properties, we can use them. Well, in principle, this is what Tesla actually proved. And what was Tesla's understanding of the nature of ether as an exhaustible source of energy? Well, Tesla generally suggested that ether is a superlight gas and it consists of ultra-small particles. These particles move at frantic speed in the corpuscular space, meaning in the main sun rays. And these sun rays, penetrating the particles of ether, interact with electric forces and the mass. Even in the century of new discoveries, just like in antiquity, it was believed that ether was the basis of everything, and in the light of new understandings, it was also believed that ether was a carrier of light, a carrier of electromagnetic interactions, so it was believed that ether transmits electromagnetic radiation, and that's where such a name came from, on the radio. To go on the air. Yes. It's funny. In broadcasting, to go on the air. Unexpectedly, in the 20th century, 
they began to quickly wrap up all the work on studying ether. Scientists were dismissed from work, their laboratories got closed, all vacancies cut, and there were even attempts, well, not attempts, but there was even such a measure that for the scientists who supported the theory of ether, it was impossible to get another job. At the same time, the theory of ether as the main theory of theoretical physics was being discredited on a large scale by the world media. Now let's watch a fragment from the video Consciousness and Personality, from the inevitably dead to the eternally alive, and note what is said there. Let's listen. Attention to the screen. This policy, first of all, appeared because in the 19th century people very closely approached such a notion as ether. Ether on its own gave infinite, let's say, free energy, which could have provided people with the necessary energy in any amount absolutely free of charge. However, this in no way was in the interest of the powerful of this world. Because what to earn money on and how to hold people, this is one side. And the other side is that the very proof of the existence of something non-material, which creates matter, which gives energy, it is very close to the spiritual world. Such a parallel. This is what caused tension among the powerful people of this world. That's why they impose total ban on this topic. Right. And since 1905, massive destruction of the term ether began. Already in September of 1920, at the 86th World Congress in Germany, it was a World Congress of naturalists and physicians in the German city of Bad Nauheim, it was solemnly announced as a fact that such a notion as ether was abolished for good. Yes, and just look, at the end of the 19th, the beginning of 20th century, they purposefully began to form a consumer society. Not only they destroyed the very concept of ether, but they started building a consumer society in which we now live. So, even if we return to history, let's recall that there were certain absolutes. For example, a human and an animal were differentiated. There appeared Darwin's theory on the origin of species, which said that we all descended from monkeys. Or rather, he said that we had a common ancestor with them, but the line between a human and an animal sort of began to fade. Then in 1905 the theory of relativity by Einstein appeared, who basically said that everything… well, he didn't say that everything was relative, but this theory became so popular in society, it became so popularized and so fashionable that everyone started talking about the relativity of everything. Thus he abolished such concepts as absolute time and absolute movement. And what appeared instead? Relative morality, relative good and evil. Even conscience became relative. Relative conscience. A human, when he would stop acting according to his conscience, could always justify himself with the theory of relativity, depending on what side one looks from. Take Karl Marx, who introduced his theory that morality has a class content. So it turns out that the bourgeoisie has its own morality and the proletariat has its own morality. Then Nietzsche appeared. Everyone knows Nietzsche perfectly well, who declared in his joyous physics that God has died. 
Well, and then there was Freud, who said that a human is driven by a dark instincts. Basically, we see the grievous results and the society in which we are living. That's how we came to this. You know, it's such a pity. Now it becomes clear where these theories of Freudianism and Darwinism came from. Because, in fact, in these theories, a human is presented only as a soulless animal that strictly follows its dark inner instincts. This is very unpleasant. And if everything is more or less clear with the theory of ether, how it got there and what it grew into, then what happened in science next? Well, next we can actually analyze the theory of relativity. What is this theory about? What is relative to what there? Why is it relative? Yes, why it is relative and what this theory is about. To begin with, in 1905, Einstein published his first work. It was the special theory of relativity. What is this theory about? It described the motion of bodies at the so-called relativistic speeds, meaning speeds close to the speeds of light. But the interesting point is not what it described, but what it was based upon. It seems to me this is the essence. It was actually based on the experiments conducted by Michelson and Morley. At the end of the 19th century, Michelson and Morley were testing a theory that Lawrence published at the beginning of the same 19th century. According to this theory, motionless ether was the basis of the universe. Thus, Michelson and Morley built an interferometer. And by means of this interferometer, they wanted to capture the ether wind, but the first results were unsuccessful. And based precisely on these unsuccessful results, Einstein relied on them, so to say, when he was writing his special theory of relativity. Yet after another 10 years, in 1915, he published his second work. It was the general theory of relativity. Again, what is this theory about? This theory described the interaction of large objects. And interestingly, already in the general theory of relativity, the concept of ether was replaced with the concept of space-time, that is, ether was removed. Right after he published his theory, he traveled with it a lot, and thus publicly promoted it. It was a promotional campaign. When in 1929, Michelson, who was a really stubborn man and was perfecting his interferometer for decades, when in 1929 he did discover the ether wind and published what he found, he was simply laughed at. While in fact it's not clear what was so funny. Do we now have science that knows the answers to all the questions? Or did it know the answers to all the questions at that time? In my opinion, there's nothing funny about this. A true scientist, when he's indeed a scientist, he seeks to know the truth. But this situation clearly shows us that science doesn't develop freely now, and it didn't develop freely before. That there were those who manipulated the vector of scientific development in the direction that was necessary and beneficial for them. Kalak, tell me, as far as I understand, the theory of relativity describes the movement of macro-objects in some inertial systems, doesn't it? It does. Gravitational interaction, or, as it was also called correctly, another name of the general theory of relativity, is the theory of gravitation, the theory of gravity. Very interesting. You've just said such an interesting thing that scientists themselves were never able to give their opinions, their proofs, their hypotheses and their theories for public access, so to say. There was always someone who manipulated them to his own liking. 
someone. Moreover, in the scientific community, it is arranged in such a way that if you really try to get to the truth, there is some kind of a wall, and everything happens by overcoming this wall, meaning obstacles are artificially created in order to prevent the truth from reaching people. Is this actually the right way for scientific development and learning of the truth? In my opinion, this way science will never get developed if it constantly runs into some obstacle. Nothing will ever develop if science keeps arranging obstacles instead of going around them, let's say. Well, if we have an understanding, even an approximate one, of some macro objects, such giants, huge elephants that we are moving in the same direction with, like to a water source, as I see it, then what about the micro world? As far as I understand, science was developing further, or rather it was developing in parallel, and there appeared the quantum theory. Where did it come from, this quantum theory? Yes, it is worth saying that the theory of relativity doesn't apply to micro objects, meaning it doesn't describe micro objects. Scientists were certainly looking for a way to describe interactions between micro-objects. And so, in year 1803, Thomas Yoon conducted experiments with the light passing through slits. Everyone knows this famous experiment. When one slit was placed, then two slits, and on the screen there was a picture of the results on the light passing, or particle by particle, right? First it was an electron, then, or rather, first it was a photon, then an electron, then it was replaced with heavier objects, C to 60 fullerens. But the picture was still the same. In the absence of an observer, we see a wave. As soon as an observer appears in the slit, the wave function immediately collapses, and a particle is observed. So, the situation changes depending on the presence of an observer. Can we go a little more into details so that our viewers understand? The thing is, as far as I understand, that when it passes through one slit, it shows just a line, right? And if it goes through two slits, then? If a beam of light passes through two slits and no one is observing it, then there is an interference, pattern, meaning an alternation of lines, light and black, light and black. Yet, it's not clear through which slit a photon or an electron has passed. Therefore, they decided to pass one at a time. And it turned out that a photon passes through both slits. So physicists… Is there really a possibility to bifurcate? Physicists also scratch their heads. Can I split up like a photon? They also thought about this and decided to peep at which slit a photon flies through. So they put their detector directly on the slit, right there. But when they looked at the picture, they saw two lines, meaning the very fact of observation terminated the wave function. A wave turned into a particle. This really puzzled the physicists. But there is a continuation of this story. That's not all. In year 2006, when technological capabilities had increased, they decided to conduct an experiment in order to observe the result of the passage of a wave through the slits, and they already put an observer between the slit and the screen. And who was the observer? Did a man stand there looking? Detectors. No, there was a detector that recorded everything. But then the most incredible thing happened, something that modern science and quantum mechanics cannot explain, they only make assumptions. As soon as an observer appears, after a wave passes through the slit, a photon or an electron immediately turns into a particle. So, there is an impression, 
as if it didn't pass through the barrier of two slits, as if there was no interference picture, as if the fact of observation in the now moment changed the past. What does this indicate? Probably it depends on the observer. Did it know? This indicates that in our material world the fact of observation is very important. And physics is trying in every way to either get around or even get away from this. I'd like to add to what Volodya has said. Initially, when Jung was conducting his experiments, he radiated this light precisely in a beam. And there was such an assumption that while this beam was flying, photons were interacting with each other. Only later, after a long time, they bombarded one photon at a time, and the interference picture was really observed. Wait, guys, so from this experiment it follows that our world depends on an observer. Have I got it right? There was also Max Planck, as I remember, who was involved in quantum theory as well. Yes, of course. There is a very interesting story with Max Planck as well. Actually, why is quantum physics, and generally quantum theory, called quantum? The thing is that in the 19th century there was a very rapid growth in the metallurgical industry. Metal processing technologies were already developed quite well. Blast furnaces were known to all metallurgists, and there was a very interesting task, because in fact, as usual, the task was set by the industry. It was some kind of economic task. The thing is that in order to get high-quality iron, it could only be obtained in one way, by correct adjustment of the temperature in a furnace. That is, it had to be held correctly, following all processing conditions, but there was a little complexity. At that time, let's say, metallurgists of those years didn't have modern technology. For example, nowadays we can measure temperature remotely, using infrared centers or various laser technologies, but at that time experts judged by the eye, looking roughly. Hot, you need to add or decrease and so on. It's like you cook something, some food, in a kitchen. You try this food, it's fine, only there you cannot even try you need to judge by the eye. Eventually, it turned out that there were very few of such specialists, while the demand was enormous. So scientists, physicists joined in this matter. The task was actually as follows. To study such a thing, to create a formula, what everyone theoretically works on, to make a good formula that would explain, that would correlate the light, meaning the wavelength of this light radiation, with the temperature. At that time, there were already two most famous formulas. The Wien formula, and the Rayleigh-Jeans formula. And the situation was such that one of the formulas described the behavior only for short waves, while there was a correlation between temperature and the wavelength, while the other one described, well, there was certain energy there too, while the other one described the behavior only for long waves. However, together they couldn't be combined, such was their divided fate. And here we have Max Planck entering the scene, who, having studied all these experimental matters, so to say, Notice an interesting point, that in a wave, let's say, as we know, a wave looks like a number of crests and troughs, one crest on top and one trough on bottom were regarded as one period, one section of a wave. And if there are a lot of these crests and troughs, and for example they are compressed, we have a short wave, then it usually carries a very big energy. At the same time, if a wave is very stretched out, not much energy fits in there. From this notion, Planck deduced a correlation that perhaps energy is transferred in some portions. It's an important point, and after that he derived his famous formula, 
the so-called famous Planck formula, which not only combined these two formulas and provided an almost perfect result of this experiment for practice, but what was significant is that in 1900 he also made a very important statement, or rather an assumption, that energy is transmitted in some portions, in quanta, meaning in a discrete manner. So it turns out that our world is discrete. So he wanted to say that bodies emit and absorb energy in certain portions, as he called them quanta. It's the same as when we eat. Actually, that's why Max Planck is called the father of quantum theory, and correspondingly, physics has become quantum. This happened in 1900. On December 21st, the Congress was being held where he was promoting this theory, and these days considered to be the birthday of quantum physics. Yet how is the theory of superposition related? How does it relate to quantum theory? I know there was a scientist Schrodinger. Yes, he proposed an interesting mental experiment. He is also one of the founders of quantum mechanics. Let's just imagine in our minds. We take a box, put a cat in it as an object of the macro world. And also into this box we put an atomic nucleus of a radioactive substance. We select the atomic nucleus in such a way that it can decay within an hour with a probability of 50%. Thus, if it disintegrates, the cat dies. If it doesn't disintegrate, the cat survives. We close the box and sort of ask ourselves a question. What is going on there? What is happening to the cat? Thus, until we open the box, all this is done mentally, our atomic nucleus is in the state of superposition. So it has and it hasn't disintegrated at the same time according to quantum mechanics. Hence, our cat is alive and dead at the same time. Well, we do understand that this is sort of a nonsense. For macro objects, such an approach is simply impossible. Therefore, with this experiment, the scientists kind of led us to the conclusion that quantum mechanics incorrectly describes the macro world. Thus, we need further clarifications and subsequent theories that could somehow combine everything together. I'd like to add the following, that in general there are four types of interactions in nature. We've talked about the general theory of relativity, which describes gravitational interactions, whereas quantum mechanics describes a weak, strong and electromagnetic interaction, meaning the remaining three types of interactions. So basically the goal of physicists, they have long been striving for this and dreaming about it, is to find a unified theory the so-called unified field theory. Is there such a theory that combines all these theories together? As far as I understand, as a sort of hypothesis, there is a theory of strings. Such a theory has been developing over the last few decades. It says that at the basis of the micro-world, at the basis of everything, there are some quantum threads. That's why it's a string theory, which vibrate in a certain way, and from their vibration, from their frequency, quarks are formed, as well as everything that further composes the entire material world, one or another. So a quark turns out to be the smallest particle. Well, kind of, according to the modern theory. No one has ever seen it. And most importantly, it's a theoretical particle. No one has ever seen it. It was predicted during certain experiments. Let's not go deep into that. So it was calculated. As they assumed it, they bombarded atoms and watched how the particles that bombarded these atoms would deflect. It was assumed that some energy strings create these quarks. But math in the theory of strings is quite complicated and cumbersome. In order to describe it all, they had to introduce multidimensionality of space. There is a 10 and 11 dimensional space if we take time into account. And there is a 26 dimensional space that is described by the string theory. 
In fact, everything is happening as in the modern consumer society. The theory begins to be split into parts. So we roughly understand the history of modern physics development, and it would certainly be very good to give people a coherent theory, the primordial of physics, which could explain the unified structure, or it's like a unified field theory, so to say, underlaying the unified structure or matter as a substance of which our world is woven. So what is the primordial Alatra physics actually about? Generally speaking, the primordial Alatra physics is the foundation, the basis on which humanity can actually make an evolutionary breakthrough in all fields of science. If we talk about the primordial Alatra physics, today it's the most coherent, the most um, it is that very science, that very foundation, that can explain all paradoxes in the experiments and all inexplicable phenomena in nature. If we take the history of the primordial electrophysics development, in principle it is so global that it has existed for as long as our universe has, let's say. But if we take the last decades, then, of course, an intensive development of the primordial electrophysics began in 1996, when the foundations of the primordial electrophysics were given to a certain team of scientists and were also provided in the books by Anastasia Novich, which have been listed as Eosmos and so on. As a result, in 2015, the primordial electrophysics report was published. What is important to note? that all this fundamental knowledge allows us to combine, as it has been said, the theory of relativity, the four fundamental interactions, and how objects behave at the micro and macro level. All these fundamentals have been laid out in such a form that people can associatively perceive and understand nowadays. People will be able to take the first steps in learning to operate these concepts, in learning to understand how matter actually appears in this world and how it interacts with each other. And all these cause and effect relations that will certainly make it possible, as we have already said, to make a breakthrough in all fields of science, medicine, cosmology, astronomy and any industry. Are there echoes of the primordial electrophysics knowledge in the past? Well, everyone knows that a huge number of archaeological finds have been actually discovered. And we know that these ancient artifacts consist of such metals that today, as our colleague said, not a single metallurgical company or factory can produce. Or if we look globally, let's even take the complex of pyramids, located on the surface of the Earth. After all, it is still not completely known why these devices were built, let's say, of certain materials according to a certain geometry and were placed strictly at designated points on the planet. By the way, all this is also the knowledge of the primordial electrophysics, because today we already understand that geometry plays a huge role, location plays a huge role, as well as the properties of the material which one or another detector device and so on is made of, which take part in this same experiment with slits. Here is, in principle, the primordial electrophysics and its development in brief. I cannot wait to find out what everything actually consists of. What does the primordial electrophysics say? Let's get to the study. 
What is at the basis of everything? Yes, indeed. The primordial electrophysics gives a holistic picture of the world, because it operates the fundamental principles. Perhaps, let's take a look. Let's do that. There is a picture which we can show it on the screen. Attention to the screen, show the picture, please. As far as I understand, there is a certain frame, right? According to the primordial electrophysics, the basis of the universe is a spatial frame called the isosmic grid. It is interesting that the ratio of the height of this frame to its base is 1 to 72. This indicates that this frame has a pronounced flattened geometry. It is also interesting that the universe is located inside of this frame. This answers the question, what size can the universe expand to? Because we all know that the universe is expanding. Here on the screen there has been a picture where the isosmic grid is shown. What do we see in the picture? In the picture we see that the entire isosmic grid consists of isosmic cells. You mean these little squares? Squares, yes, here they are. I would also like to add that the isosmic grid itself is located within 72 dimensions. What our scientists now call the material universe refers to the first six dimensions, from the first to the sixth, while the remaining 66 dimensions represent the superstructure that controls these six dimensions. The dimensions from the seventh to the 72nd also relate to the material world, but they're fundamentally different from it. What is beyond the isosmic grid? Beyond the 72nd dimension, there is a completely different world, qualitatively different from ours. It's the spiritual world, the world of God. I will continue describing the grid. The grid itself is always stationary, stable and motionless. It consists of ultra-small cells, micro-microcells. In our third dimension, the cell has a cube shape, the sides of this cube are azoosmic membranes. We will talk about them a little later. I will continue describing the structure of the cell. In the center of this cube, there is a stationary pole particle. May I ask you a question? Yes. So, this is a pole particle, and we see can we bring the picture in the screen? Here it is, the one located in the center. Yes, it's in the center, but there is some kind of a glow around it. Just wait. No, I won't wait. I will tell a little more, and we'll get to this glow, okay? Okay. Because it will not be entirely clear why, okay? Here we can see a stationary pole particle in the center. This particle always stays in its place, and in every azoosmic cell there is a stationary pole particle. The number of these stationary particles is always constant in the azoosmic grid, always. And why did it get such a name, stationary pole? Because no force, the impact of which might occur in this material world, can budge this particle. It will always stay in that place, constantly. Moreover, it is indivisible. The entire invisible world of matter consists of these stationary particles. Even if we… if some kind of explosion happens here on Earth… Nuclear. Nuclear, yes, exactly. Then certain processes will take place within the cell. 
which we will discuss later. But the stationary particle will remain in the same place. And as Ole has asked, what is this cloud actually? This cloud, which constitutes the stationary Po particle, is the cluster of septons. The particle consists of a cluster of septons, and it has its own septon field, which makes up 20% of this cluster of septons. And these 20% of every particle interact with each other and form a unified septon field. What is this septon field like? What kind of information is that? Septon. And why is it called septon? Because it consists of septons. What is a septon, actually? Septon is, if we consider a septon, it's the primary link of matter, which actually forms what we call energy, according to the primordial electrophysics. We see it on the screen right now, as I understand. Yes, it's a structural representation of a septon. Why septon? Because it consists of seven elements. In the middle we see an inclusion of the allowed power. It's the power of creation which feeds the material world, so to say. It gives energy to the material world, sets it in motion, makes it move, transform and get structured. Such a universal force. And what are these mirrors? What do these walls do? These walls are called antipode reflections. In ancient times it was even said that these six antipode reflections are like smoking mirrors, which surround the glowing source located inside, as we can see. I have another question. We can see in the picture that the cell has a certain size. What is the size, actually? Can I fully fit into one of these cells? Into an azosmic cell? How many cells do our bodies occupy? Say, my body, how many cells do I occupy alone? Very many, very we many. We can give an example that even in an elementary particle, even such a particle as neutrino is in fact one of the smallest elementary particles. So, for a better understanding, from one pole of an elementary particle to another, if we look at it as a sphere, there is, let's say, a volume of 5 to 5 azoosmic cells. So, imagine your body, how many elementary particles it consists of, and… We won't voice it. There is another interesting analogy. An azoosmic cell is very small, but a septon is many times smaller, because a stationary pole particle consists of a countless number of septons. We should also tell about a phantom Po particle. We'll get to it. This is very interesting. You know, we can draw an analogy regarding the structure of septons. Imagine a room of a cubic shape, with the corners cut off, and in the middle of the room there is a candle. The walls of this room are mirrors, and they are constantly, randomly spinning. They have absolute freedom in that. And so, these mirrors reflect this true light. Remember? Like at disco parties. These balls. Balls, right. While here, just imagine, one septon creates such a light show, so to say. It distorts the real light. Yes, it distorts the real light. And it turns out that, whereas a stationary particle Po consists of a countless number of septons, they create a play of reflected light. So what do we have as a result? That, based on this knowledge, our entire world is illusory. Why is our entire world illusory? Since ancient times it has been known that our material world is illusory, because in reality it is a reflection of the inclusion of a lot, the real. And what is real? The real is only a lot located in the middle of every septon. That's why it is said that God is everywhere, 
meaning in the center of the world. There is such an expression. Because in the center of every septum there is an inclusion of a lot that originates from the spiritual world. As soon as the light is gone, the reflection disappears immediately, and the whole material world disappears in a flash. Here we come to a very important point, that exactly the non-material nature is at the basis of the material world, so matter is secondary, and this is exactly what is fundamental, in my view, in the primordial electrophysics, when we try to understand the origin of the world. Because in science we have already talked about this a lot today, and specialists know themselves how things are being done. Matter is primary, experiments, tests, what I cannot see doesn't exist, while the primordial electrophysics contains the foundation, that which all matter is made of. That is why now we have an opportunity to study everything, all kinds of interactions. It has an enormous forecasting potential thanks to its fundamentality. There are tremendous prospects because we understand how matter behaves at the invisible level, where it's impossible to touch or feel anything, even by means of some modern devices. Right, but it turns out that we don't even need to touch anything. It's enough for us to understand the essence of these phenomena. Now, I'd like to proceed to the septum field, which Vera Nikolaevna has mentioned. As she has said, all stationary particles are united in a single septum field. This field allows them to act as one organism. I think those who have ever attended a parade have seen that, that when airplanes fly, somebody controls them, so that they wouldn't bump into each other. They are controlled and coordinated. Also, I think everyone who is curious has seen such a phenomenon when birds start flying in a bizarre way. And there are quite a lot of them. By the way, this phenomenon is called murmuration. The first question that came to my mind was, who manages these birds? Why do they not bump into each other when they are flying at short distances from each other, using complex trajectories? And when I got familiar with the primordial electrophysics report, I understand that it is happening owing to the septum field. It is also interesting that scientists from electroscience conducted certain experiments where they determined the following. Before a volcanic eruption, the intensity of the septum field in that area increases 6 to 8 hours before the event. Likewise, when there emerges in the place where a tornado is forming, as well as on its path, the intensity of the septum field also changes 6 to 8 hours before that. Thus, studying the septum field gives us vast opportunities in geoengineering. You see, these cataclysms that I've just mentioned, modern science can hardly predict them today or we can say it cannot predict them at all. Hence, it turns out that studying the septum field gives us an opportunity, I would say, to simply redirect a hurricane wherever we need to. Let it better plow a field instead of ruining people's house. Stas, maybe scientists have already come close to the concept of the septum field. Yes, they have. How, if we… You've already said that the intensity of this field is increasing. So has anyone studied it at least a little bit? It is just called a little bit differently in science. But actually, it is the information field. Most of the time it is called the information field. So do I get it correctly that if we understand the nature of the septum field, we can control earthquakes, volcanoes and hurricanes? 
Thus, we can slow them down or redirect them into another direction so that people wouldn't get hurt, for instance, send a hurricane into an ocean instead of some islands. The Septon field is responsible for all that, right? For any material objects. Right. What's interesting is that we have started talking about it, or perhaps we have already mentioned that any material object has its own Septon field and even… Even I do. Yes. <laughs> Got it. Thank you. I will add a little bit regarding the septon field because, well, the septon field is exactly what explains all the known interactions, the four known interactions which Zahar has talked about, but also the unknown ones. It also explains what space, time, electromagnetic radiation and gravity are. But the most interesting thing is that all living and non-living objects consists of, well, they have a septon field. The septon field is also called the animal mind. It's a self-organizing matter, the highest in organizational order, and it imagines itself living in the real world. And it is sort of, so it is that very devil who is pictured with horns, or is there actually nothing like that? And every person, of course there is. Why? I'll tell you right now. Humans also have a septon field, and our consciousness is a part of this main septon field. It's a part of this septon field, but this consciousness is given to us so that we can live and communicate like a computer in this world so that we can talk to each other, study the very physics, and interact. Because without the septon field, we cannot do this. However, what has it come down to in our world? We've come to a point where we have overnourished this field with our egoism, greed, jealousy, complaints about each other, and judgment. We have nourished it to such an extent that now the septon field is controlling us. And this is the most terrible thing that has happened to humanity. An analogy with the Internet has just come to my mind. Where did all this come from? Spam comes to us on the Internet, but also spam comes to us in our thoughts. So, it turns out that a thought is not actually ours, and it is material. It's as if imposed on us from the outside. And since we know that it is imposed on us from the outside, we can basically calmly refuse it. Perhaps let's go back to our Azosmi greed a little bit. The greed. I'd also like to add regarding climate. Okay, it's very interesting, yes. Yes. We have started talking about the possibility of predicting climatic changes. And probably we should mention that in year 2014, the Elotra Science report on the problems and consequences of global climate change on Earth was published. In this report, there are diagrams, observations, and practical results of application of the primordial elatra physics in geoengineering and climatology. So, this science is already being applied. But now, there is an opportunity for many people to join in order to develop this science and make it available to the public. We have been talking about climate change for a long time. At first, this fact was denied. But when changes already began to occur, it's natural that representatives of the Ninth Circle were forced to disclose this information. But again, everything happens as if through a blurred glass, as if they slipped in this anthropogenic factor. And scientists repeat after them, 
after the representatives of the Ninth Circle and talk about it. Yet, we were the first ones to speak, and we were raised this wave. Today, we are talking about the primordial electrophysics, and we give people an opportunity. Well, we are presenting this science and give people an opportunity to join and develop these foundations, because it is something that can change the world very much. Yes, it is very important, taking into account the irreversible climate changes that we are currently observing. With high probability, it can result in a negative outcome for humanity. And of course, if we can understand how the world is arranged and learn to manage climate changes, we will be able to prevent them and save all of humanity. That's why, of course, this is very important. And indeed, the septon field, or that little septon, is at the basis of all this. Is it actually a septon or a septon? I don't quite understand. Septon. Septon, from the word seven. Seven. But in septon there is also seven. No, it's not that heavy. It doesn't weigh seven tons. This so-called septon field is known as of today. We've already talked about this. It is known as the information field. Thus, it is very often happens that, for example, two scientists on different ends of the planet register or patent some kind of work on the same subject. This indicates that how could they find out about this on different ends of the planet? This indicates that there is indeed a single field that, so to say, slips in these thoughts to us. And it's also interesting to mention the hundredth monkey effect, which many also know. All this takes place precisely with the help of the septon field. Moreover, as I understand, the interaction is instantaneous. Instantaneous? Yes, it is instantaneous. More about the septon field can be found in our video on Alatra TV, Septon Interaction of Nature. It explains everything. Great, now let's consider. Let's return to the isosmic grid. Bring the picture of the isosmic grid on the screen, please. As far as I understand, if there is a grid, it means there are some facets in it. Is this grid limited by anything? What is it limited by? Well, here we are not talking about the grid specifically, but about the cell. So in the picture we can see that every stationary pore particle is limited on all sides by isosmic membranes. Let's take a look at what they are. What is the isosmic membrane? What is it? The isosmic membrane, in our case, is a, so to say, unique non-material structure. What does it actually mean? With the desired pre-planned, so to say, root map, which is embedded in this particle, like a root in a navigator, it may go into not the next membrane, but skip one of them, for instance, or it may appear in a cell at a very, very remote distance. Wait, Sasha, but this is very similar to teleportation. Exactly. So a human can teleport himself? That's right. It is actually possible to disappear and appear instantly, or as in a portal, it depends. A very important point here is that it is real teleportation in contrast to what is now called quantum teleportation, where in fact a particle simply transmits certain information about its state by conventional communication channels. And this very property of the membrane provides instant connection, instant interaction at vast distances. Here an interesting question may possibly arise. The thing is that according to modern physics, this is sort of impossible because the speed of light is the limit. But again, let's get back to our quantum physics. As a matter of fact, in quantum physics it is quite possible. It is a real phenomenon. This phenomenon is called particle entanglement, when two particles having, let's say, a common origin may be connected in a certain way. May I ask about the membrane size? The membrane size, well... Outwardly, it has practically no thickness. Right, it has practically no thickness. 
it is theoretically possible to calculate the general parameters of this cube roughly and approximately. But the membrane itself has practically no thickness, though it does exist. But it is limitless. It is infinite. And who programs the root of these particles? We will proceed to this now. As a matter of fact... Pardon me. I really like that it is possible to jump almost anywhere in space, meaning an opportunity for space travels becomes real for us, right? Actually. Of course. And by the way, nowadays, in the quantum world, we can observe such effects when a photon disappears at one point in space and appears at another. It's the same with a neutrino. Modern quantum mechanics cannot explain this effect. Yet the primordial electrophysics easily explains it by the presence of the grid of isoosmic membranes. But here, indeed, while listening to this theory, our listeners, viewers and participants of the conference might have a question. How can this be applied? In fact, as far as I understand for now, having started the report, the very concept of the membrane is very important. Thus, having understood how the membrane operates, where all this information comes from, according to which an information particle is formed, where the particle itself comes from, and how to control and transform it, this opens up great opportunities in obtaining what we have talked about, obtaining any material objects, like a 3D printer, moving over vast distances, not even small particles, but moving a large spaceship with people and everything we need. I wouldn't take the risk. <laughs> but it's interesting to try. It's really interesting to try. Without time loss. Absolutely no time loss. And here, if we approach this from a practical point of view, curiosity plays a role too. There is a second important aspect, climate change. Today, we live in a century when very serious climate changes are coming. Such videos on Alatra TV as climate-breaking news and climate control confirm this. A lot of videos with Igor Mikhailovich related exactly to the topic of climate have been released. And what do we, as humanity, get if we study the properties of the membrane? We get an opportunity to travel to any planet. Indeed, in space, there are billions of unexplored planets similar to Earth, on which it is possible to live. We get an opportunity to artificially create an atmosphere. Thus, such problems as overpopulation, which they keep talking about on TV, as well as cataclysms, are not that terrible. If necessary, we have an opportunity to move to another planet, so… Subject to the primordial electrophysics However, this is possible only in a creative and constructive society. And I liked your phrase about the two wings of one bird, that development of the primordial electrophysics should keep pace with the creation of a constructive and creative society, because those technologies which open up, well, in the hands of an animal, they can be harmful, because it would be possible to create weapons millions of times worse than nuclear weapons. Why would we need this? A bacterium could be created that would selectively kill people. Why would we need this? It is possible to create… After all, consciousness is also material. It is the same matter, the septum field. Hence there appears an opportunity… To influence it. To influence it. Thus, in a consumer society, there is no need for that, because it, on the contrary, gives full control over a person. But in a creative and constructive society, which we are building, all this is possible, all this becomes available to all people. Yet, if we go back to the isosmic grid, if it is going to be displayed on the screen again, there, in the center, I've seen something that from afar, my consciousness says that it looks like Chiburashka or Mickey Mouse. What is it actually? That one, which is if his ears. 
Right there. What is this? The ones that travel from membrane to membrane. These are exactly phantom pore particles that travel. All visible matter consists of them. All elementary particles actually consist of a certain set of phantom pore particles. And the most interesting thing is that a separate phantom pore cannot exist by itself. It immediately disappears in the azosmic membrane. But together, they form the entire visible world of matter. And what's also interesting is that they are the carriers of energy and information which then get updated in the azosmic membrane. Accordingly, there are much fewer of them in the universe than stationary particles, and their number constantly varies. Why does it vary? Because they can disappear in the azosmic membrane, which means a particle goes in and may not come out, it may dissolve there. For a while? For a while, until some new information appears and new matter that we need is formed. Yes, and you know, I would also like to add the following, that look, according to modern physics, in our world, everything consists of elementary particles. But according to the primordial electrophysics, everything consists of phantom particles. By the way, here we have an electron. Right, here we have... 13, pole. Neutrino. Neutrino. It consists of five. Yes, it's the smallest. Meet neutrino, right? Nice to meet you. Who would have thought? Yes. And so, just by drawing an analogy, we understand that all elementary particles consist of phantom pole particles. What does this give us? It gives us the following. How is atomic nuclear physics developing nowadays? It's developing through fragmentation. They take something big, fragment it into something small, and study this small. Yet knowing the primordial electrophysics and studying it, we no longer need accelerators. The well-known large hadron. Hadron. Hadron collider is not needed. Why do we need the hadron collider? Why do we need to collide and split anything? If we already know from the outset that, for instance, the smallest particle, the photon, consists of three Pu particles, while the largest particle, that is not discovered by modern physics yet, consists of 72 Pu. Secondly, since we understand that phantom Pu particles are at the heart of everything, this gives us the following opportunity. By arranging them according to relevant information, we can obtain any material or non-material object starting from a cherry pie with desired properties and the necessary number of micro-elements and up to, well, I don't know, a fur coat. Do I understand it correctly that these phantom particles fly through the isosmic grid, that they travel across it? That's right. We consist of them, and we also travel. Do they somehow line up in a certain proportion or structure? Yes, they move in a spiral, like on this model. They move in a spiral. For example, there are 13 of them in an electron. But they might collide, don't they? No. No. When a particle flies, it flies like this, meaning a continuous movement takes place. But again, this particle is in a stationary state, meaning it is really a particle. But when there is no observer, it stretches out and turns into a wave. Basically, this explains the transformation of a particle. So all elementary particles are built of these pore particles, right? Yes, exactly. They are built of these pore particles, which in turn are arranged in a spiral. Wait, phantom particles or pore particles, right? Phantom particles. Phantom pore particles, that's what they are called. And there are stationary pore particles. And do phantom and stationary particles interact with each other? Well, if we want to touch upon their interaction, that's probably the next game. 
but I think here we should say the following. We have a stationary poo particle, okay? It is motionless and centered in every isosmic cell. We have phantom poo particles. They run around, as we have said, from one membrane to another and appear in different places. And at the same time, they form the whole world of visible matter. So what does this give us? We understand that everything is composed of particles. No matter what object we would take, it consists of particles. But in different objects they are arranged differently. If we learn how to arrange them according to the information we need, we can create something like a 3D printer that will print any necessary object. But again, if this is available to everyone, to all humanity, so in every house it will be like an imminent attribute, like a refrigerator in the kitchen, so to say. We won't have to work so much, we will have spare time for our personal development. We will be able to develop, to learn, we will stop working for many hours, as it's been already said today, just in order to make money for food. Well, I would say, the value of money just disappears. And we will stop fighting. If. Of course we will stop fighting, if we build a creative and constructive society. Why the contrary? If we stop fighting, then it will be possible. I think that to our audience, while we were communicating with each other, it has already become clear that in a consumer society the development of the primordial electrophysics is simply impossible, because these technologies allow to do a lot of things, but their development may be channeled in both good and bad direction. Therefore, as we have said today, two wings of one bird are the primordial electrophysics and a creative and constructive society. Yet I have another interesting point that I'd like to add. Just look. We know that a photon consists of three or four pole particles, a neutrino consists of five, and so on. What does this give us? Look, if we take any chemical reaction, okay, and we do understand that it's not an elementary particle. An elementary particle may be broken into components. While this is a fundamental particle, it cannot be broken. The number of these fundamental particles before a reaction equals to the number of fundamental particles after the reaction. So it turns out… Are you talking about phantom pole particles? That's right, exactly. It turns out that nuclear physics is no longer a probabilistic science. It becomes a rather accurate science, because we understand which elements enter into reaction and what we expect to get in the end. Thus, we can at least correct the equations which are now used in nuclear physics. Can you give any examples? Of course. As a matter of fact, such calculations and basically the knowledge of the number of phantom Po particles, as we have already said, for example, in electron, in neutrino, right? This knowledge, if we use it, how can we apply it in practice? Very simply. For instance, we take official data, like there is this such a website as Particle Data Group. It's an official website that collects data from various accelerators, from various experimental units, on which certain interactions between elementary particles were revealed, how they decay, how they are synthesized among themselves, and so on. We would like to present a simple formula. This is the neutron decay formula. Everyone who wishes, every scientist, every specialist can do this at home without resorting to any complex formulas or equipment. This can be done even on a simple tablet. Now we will do it on the board. Go ahead, it's very interesting. Yes, this is very simple. By the way, who is not familiar yet, get acquainted, this is a neutron. It consists of 33 phantom Po particles. May I have this little one, neutrino? What else would I like to mention? Just note, today we basically have no understanding, well, modern science lacks an understanding, of uh, what the size of elementary particles actually is. 
Thanks to the knowledge of the primordial electrophysics, we can even compare a neutron, what it is like, what volume it occupies, so to say, with that very neutrino, while a photon is even smaller. Is this an electron? Right, it's an electron. A proton is a little smaller. Yes, now? Now let's proceed to the formula. According to the official data, a neutron, our viewers can see it, consists of an electron, or rather, it decays into an electron, a proton, a neutrino, and a photon. Thanks to the knowledge of the primordial electrophysics, we know that a neutron consists of 33 phantom Po particles, an electron consists of 13 phantom Po particles, we put a plus here and write down, a proton consists of 12 phantom Po particles, a neutrino, which we have already seen, consists of 5 phantom Po particles, and a photon consists of 3 phantom Po particles. What do we see? We see that, as a result of neutron decay, the formula obtained experimentally on devices, we clearly see that there is perfect compliance. What we had before the reaction is fully consistent with what we have after. Just like that. Therefore, science of the future, let's say, is no longer probabilistic or predictive at some level of... Um, Generally speaking, it becomes an exact science. Among other things, we can also describe chemical reactions in a similar way, with a high degree of probability, not like this is happening nowadays, but it allows, by the way, this is also an important point, it allows us not to spend enormous funds on expensive experimental equipment, it means preservation of human resources. Imagine how many specialists, engineers and scientists spend their lives, let's say, on developing a simple formula that has been known since ancient times. By the way, here I have... A papyrus, as I see. Right, uh, let's say it's a modern papyrus. Actually, we have it on the table, and it will now be displayed on the screens. As a matter of fact, this photo is quite famous. It is available on the internet. It was found by archaeologists. And what do we see here? We see that, in fact, the primordial knowledge, such as the primordial electrophysics, has been known since ancient times to those civilizations that reached not only a technological level of development, but also spiritual and moral development. And what did they leave us as a legacy? They left us the composition of the air, they imprinted, by the way, this chart should be read from right to left and from bottom to top, in case someone is interested. From among scientists? Yes, from among scientists. One can take a look, compare elementary particles, find some correlations, and so on. Oksana will tell us she will present another reaction that will describe more than just an interaction between elementary particles. Because in the future, without any cost, just sitting in our office, we will be able to determine interactions between protons, electrons, photons, and so on. Moreover, we will be able to describe equations of more complex systems, such as atoms, molecules, and so on. Let's look at such an example right now. The phrase that nuclear physics is becoming an exact science is interesting on its own. Hence now, it is not really exact. Truly, 
if we turn to textbooks, it looks like a probability theory. Right, because there are a lot of errors and inaccuracies in nuclear reactions, and reactions may seem to occur under the same conditions, but quite often the results are different in the end. I would like to consider a reaction that is basically studied at school. This is the first, well, in official physics, it is said that it was the first artificial nuclear reaction performed by Ernest Rutherford in 1919. Thus, he took a nitrogen isotope and bombarded it with alpha particles. Alpha particle is a nucleus of the atom of helium. So, nitrogen isotope, 714, alpha particle, what I've just mentioned, helium, 24. What are these numbers? 714 are the charge number and the atomic mass number. The charge number is for Mendeleev's periodic table and it's also the number of protons in a nucleus. 14 is the number of nucleons. Nucleon is a general name for everything that is in the nucleus, meaning neutrons and protons. The same thing is with helium, so as a result of the reaction they got… No, I'm already doing it wrong, 8 oxygen isotopes. Now, proton. I have to recall it. 9, 8. The charge number remains the same as the mass number. 18 minus 1 is 17, right? So, how can we calculate this reaction? If we know the number of protons and neutrons, and we know the number of phantom particles they consist of, then, logically, what we have on one side should equal to what is on the other side. Thus, we have 7 protons, there are 12 phantom particles in a proton, so we have to multiply 7 by 12. In the nitrogen isotope, there are 14 nucleons. In order to find the number of neutrons, we need to subtract 7 from 14, it is also 7, and there are neutrons, 33 phantom pore particles in the neutron. Then we take helium, two protons, we multiply 2 by 12, and the same thing, 4 minus 2 makes 2, 2 neutrons, we multiply by 33, I've heard. So we calculate, 7 multiplied by 12 equals 84, 7 multiplied by 33 equals 2, 231, 24 and 66. Total 1890-174, I guess it is 400, 405. Now, let's do, let's do the same thing on the other side. Oxygen isotope has 8 protons. So, 8 by 7, 17 minus 8. Oops, I've heard it again, pardon me, by 12. So, 17 minus 8 makes 9 neutrons, 9 multiplied by 33, and proton, 1 proton, and no neutrons. 1 minus 1 equals 0, correspondingly 0. We can count the same here. 80, 96, 12, 297, 
13 to 5, 0, it's the same, 405. So we actually don't need to conduct these expensive reactions using the LHC and accelerators, because there is a much easier option. We can just sit down, calculate, and find an error in those reactions which already exist. What exactly is wrong? And then we can use the release time and money precisely to build a really creative and constructive society and to make the devices which we all have talked about. Because without knowing chemistry, it will be hard for us to create this equipment on our own. So not just physicists and chemists need this knowledge, but also ordinary people, in order for them to understand what they actually want and what they can get. Thank you. Thank you. It is also interesting that, as Zahar has mentioned, there is such a website as Particle Data Group. It's a catalogue of reactions and studies that have been performed in the well-known accelerators and other devices. We were curious, so we got together with a small group of people in order to calculate. Hence, we calculated. Here, there is a big number of various elementary particles suggested by the scientists today. And it would be very interesting if similar experiments, similar calculations, they are actually very simple. Within a couple of hours, we calculated over 200 formulas, because here, as we can see, math is very simple. Yes, arithmetic. We can say that it is simple arithmetic. This way we can understand which particles, those that collide and decay, which of them are real and which are not real. Again, expensive experiments, like Oksana has said, are no longer needed. It literally costed us a few sheets of paper and a couple of hours of time. Everything becomes so much easier when we have the knowledge and information about the structure of elementary particles, which are basically written out here in these formulas. We can calculate them in a very simple way. So we could simply direct all these billions of dollars that we spent on accelerators in decades. Right, we could simply direct them to the development of our society, make it creative and constructive. Exactly. And at least eliminate poverty on Earth. Yes. Just imagine, what kind of future we can leave for our descendants? What will the representatives of the Ninth Circle leave for their descendants? They will leave the power over us and what they have stolen from us, right? For them, it's their bright future. But what are they going to leave for us? A chicken coop a shelf in this chicken coop, and some five cents for tomorrow. Moreover, thanks to their efforts, thanks to inflation, these five cents will turn into nothing tomorrow. While what can we provide if we unite? Absolutely all people together, all those who truly understand that changes are necessary, moreover rapid changes. If we unite, we can live a truly wonderful future for our descendants, such a future, such a world, in which there is no concept of diseases or poverty, where there is peace, friendship and creation, where humanity lives for the sake of creation and mutual help for each other. It seems to me that it is worthwhile for specialists, ordinary people and the whole world to join this research, all those who are alive, those who understand that it must be done now. In this case, it will become possible within the shortest time. Otherwise, the Ninth Circle what do its representatives offer? Basically, this has already been voiced by children in the United Nations. They have said that we will be destroyed either by cataclysms or by the war among representatives of that very ninth circle. They say, what have you done with our future? You took away our childhood. Yes. While we can live a really bright and pure future, 
This is actually the world as it should be in the essence, right? And a person who comes into this world leaves it filled with creativeness. He comes out as a creator. Isn't this worth the effort for just a few years, but altogether? Yes, it's a world without evil. Guys, may I clarify something with you? Since I'm not a physicist at all, I don't quite understand these formulas. Let's take an ordinary person who wants to calculate something. So, you take, for example, an electron that has a certain number of particles, right? Phantom particles. Something else consists of another number of particles. That is, the number of these phantom particles is indicated in the primordial electrophysics. Yes, that's right. And you just take, for instance, some particle, see what it consists of, how many phantom particles it comprises, and then you calculate the number of these phantom poor particles, right? Yes, that's right. The thing is that, as we have already mentioned, this is actually a very important point. Phantom pool are not elementary particles. These are fundamental particles. While fundamental particles are indivisible, their number before a reaction equals to their number after the reaction. So, if we calculate all the objects in the universe, then our task will be how to put them together in order to get a sausage sandwich. In order to get a ready-to-eat sandwich, right. Meanwhile, not a single animal would get hurt. We'll just have to learn to program information. For example, we have a lot of garbage. In our oceans we have entire islands of garbage, yes, mountains of garbage. We have already turned this planet into a pile of trash and weapons of which we have so many on Earth that we can blow up this planet a thousand times and this life would end. But thanks to the primordial electrophysics, we can disintegrate all this and turn it into phantom pole particles. And knowing how they're arranged to program this information, and then we would refill the cartridges to drive cars, for instance. The same with a cartridge for a 3D printer, from which we can obtain free energy, food and water. During the time of cataclysms, this will be extremely important and necessary for us. Although, in fact, it is always important and necessary. So, we still need to understand what information is, essentially, don't we? What a particle and information are, but we will be able to understand it, or rather it will open to us when we all start living and developing in a creative and constructive society. Then a question arises, what is actually to be done? Generally speaking, well, let's say, if you're a scientist, you can join us. Join the calculation or the study of what information is. The study. You see, this approach enables us to make a lot of fundamental discoveries in the near future. I mean, epochal discoveries. Because it's a slightly different approach than the one used in modern physics. Well, let's say it is clear with scientists. But what if you have another profession? What should you do? After all, we understand that physics is at the heart of natural science. All sciences are based on physics. Therefore, in principle, if a person is connected with scientific activity, he can also study and try to figure this out. And I think that he will find a lot of interesting things for himself. But what if a person is not connected with science? Such a simple question. Maybe he has some skills and wants to contribute to the society. Yes, skills. Or maybe he doesn't even want to contribute. Well, to put it simply, everyone should understand that we are on the verge of global climate change. If we don't build a creative and constructive society, we will get what is awaiting us. That's why every person, whatever his religion and occupation are, First of all, must strive to become a human. This is our task, both for an individual and for the society as a whole, to build that very creative and constructive society. 
Igor, I believe the platform of a Latra International Public Movement is an excellent platform on which scientists, altruists and ordinary people can interact, communicate and… Of course. In fact, I wanted to add something that is actually quite breathtaking. I've thought about the following. Nowadays, we need to work in order to have something to eat and live somewhere. We have to work hard to make money with our own blood and sweat, so to say, and then we buy products for what we earn. And if we don't have enough money, we take loans. This is what consumer society is built upon – loan interest, unlimited accumulation of capitals. And it turns out that we are always busy, we are constantly thinking of how to get food, how to get shoes and clothes, how to warm up, and we have to pay for electricity, we have to pay for heat, for clothes, basically for everything. But it turns out that the primordial Alatra physics opens up such perspectives that we can have an unlimited amount of energy at home, right by our side. This means we can have any food and any clothes. Without going out, we can, so to say, synthesize all that right in our garden or in our apartment. So it turns out that we can release a lot of time. And this time can be spent on our creative development, on our spiritual growth, on being joyful. I mean, what's the point? A human was born to be happy, to be joyful. He must abide in this happiness. Yet what kind of happiness is it if we constantly think about how to feed ourselves, how to dress our children and send them to school? That is, our thoughts are constantly preoccupied and directed at something. At survival, I would even say. At survival, absolutely right. And also money. And money also. <gasps> Listen, it would be possible to create money, just synthesize as much as we want. To print packs of it. Nah, they won't be needed. No one will need money. Yes, sure. And no one will be able to dominate over others. No one will be dependent on anyone. Yes, you won't exalt yourself by buying a fancy car or a good cell phone. Because the same car. A neighbor has. While for others, I will touch upon such a well-known field as cosmonautics. The aerospace field in general. It's a real opportunity for it to make the next step. An opportunity for its further development, because about 100 years ago, when relevant theories were used, well, let's say they were known even earlier, but I mean the time when all the theories were well mathematically structured and when flights were tested and executed on the first engines. At that time, fundamental new ones, these are jet engines, when instead of moving into a certain environment and clinging to it by all means, we simply began to discard a certain mass thus moving by pushing away from this mass. This gave us an opportunity to actually come to the threshold of space exploration, open the door and look at what is out there, so to say. However, it didn't go any further. Many years have passed, but humanity is stuck in the low near-Earth orbit, sometimes making timid attempts to get somewhere farther. Bold plans are being made, yet they don't go into implementation due to various reasons, starting from human greed and ending with no result, for some objective reasons, even when all the resources and money are provided, because physics laws have been elaborated. But the approach is wrong, and we have nothing to base ourselves upon. Let's even imagine if, in the near future, with the current technologies, we obtain new materials, perhaps with much greater durability and much higher heat resistance parameters, meaning they will withstand higher temperatures. Yes, it will certainly allow us to build more powerful conventional rocket engines, but this will not solve the main problem. Whatever high-class engine or something like that we make, we won't fly far with this. This is obvious in terms of time calculations. After all, if we proceed 
from the fact that we cannot fly faster than the speed of light, then we will have to fly for a very long time, inevitably facing all the consequences which are very colorfully described by our science fiction writers. I believe everyone has seen in movies and books what this actually leads to well. Here it is a chance to make a step forward by using these, so to say, new principles of science and respectively all other benefits which society can get from this. Friends, we would like to invite all scientists, students and ordinary people who are not indifferent to learning to join the study of the primordial Alatra physics. And together with us, with Alatra International Public Movement, build a society of happy people, a society of the future, give the future to our children, prevent climate change and create happiness on Earth. And do this in the near future. Right, and do this in near future. Please follow our games. There will be more games on Alatra physics. Join us and send your questions. Everyone who wants to participate, please email us at alatra.org. Write to us, join us in studying these questions and in calculating the formulas. We are open and interested in cooperation. Let's make our society happy. And free. And free. And happy. Guys, I'd also like to offer you the following. Let's do a very interesting experiment. I think everyone will like it. Everyone who has watched the game on the primordial Alatra physics today, please don't be lazy. Tell this to your friend. What have you understood? What prospects do you see? Have you actually liked it or not? And, having shared your story, ask your friend to record a live vlog, just a few words, about what he has understood from your conversation. Then, ask your friend to tell this to another friend and let this other friend also record a live vlog about what he has understood. What I suggest next is that three of you sit down, re-watch the primordial electrophysics, and then re-watch your live vlogs and record new vlogs. And on this example, we will see how information is transmitted and what percentage is left of what has really taken place. How this septum field operates. Yes, by the way, good point. And please send the results of your experiment to us. To Alatra website. To Alatra TV website. And we will definitely publish them. And in fact, I would be very interested in taking part in this experiment myself. But the problem is that most of my friends have watched the primordial electrophysics today. So we look forward to receiving any results from you. Join us, dear friends. Yes, Join it's us. more fun together.